Good afternoon, good morning, or good evening, and welcome to the American Age Podcast. This is your host, C. Travis Webb, editor of the American Age, and I am speaking to you from Irvine, California. Hello, everyone. My name is Stephen G. Fullwood. I am the nomadic, excuse me, the uh, co-founder of the Nomadic Archivist Project and the the exhibition coordinator for Marking Time, Art and Age of Mass Incarceration, which has just ended its run at the National Underground Railroad Freedom Center in Cincinnati, Ohio on August 7th and is now being uh, shipped to Brown University where it will open September 16th, markingtimeart.com. And hi, lovely people. I am Seth Rodney. I am the former opinions editor for Hypoallergic and his former senior editor and now contributing writer to various places, most often the New York Times, and a curator in the making. Thank goodness. I'm, I'm glad to, you said that. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> no, you know, no, I, I, I remember your... Um, your um, your encouragement the last time to mm-hmm. own up to this, and I think it's 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 worth doing. Um, and I yeah. want to say I'm coming to you from Newburgh, New York. Um, this is to remind our listeners that we practice a form of what we like to call intellectual intimacy, which is giving each other the space and time to figure out things out loud and together. Uh, and for I wanted to do a really quick aside before we talk about um, uh, institutional trust or foundation for our institutional trust. And, uh, two weeks ago, um, when we had the podcast and we record every two weeks, um, I feel like I was a little, uh, rude to Yousef, uh, when we were talking about, uh, you know, when we were talking about our topic and I said, I think I had said, uh, uh, thanks dad or something like that when you were trying to, to bring us back to the topic of, of place. Um, and so I apologize for that. It was yeah. really, it was really not necessary. Um, <laughs> oh, so, um, yeah, yeah. Anyway, uh, that thank was you. it. So, yeah, thank you for that. I appreciate um, it. Cool. So, um, okay. So we're talking about uh, uh, we're talking about uh, institutional trust. Yeah. So I think, and this is Stephen. I mean, this is kind of out of that conversation, actually, towards the tail end of that conversation. Uh, mm-hmm. And then uh, Stephen kind of fished what he thought would be a pretty good. Uh, uh, exchange on the topic. So Stephen, do you want to kind of frame it for us and, and, you know, sort of talk about, uh, so yeah, absolutely. Love to frame it. And then I would love for you to go into your, your thoughts about it. Um, and so what I, what excites me is how people relate to their environments and then when they feel betrayed by those environments, by those people, institutions, or ideas, what do they do then? Right. Because it's it's really um, germane to the moment, I think, right now with people not necessarily tuning in and being more interior, but they're like, I must take care of my health and I'm I'm doing yoga and I'm not eating this anymore and I'm doing this and I don't trust the medical you know establishment, that, that, that Western medicine specifically, and I'm going this way. So I, I wanted to know where <laughs> there were questions I had for you, Seth and Travis, about where do you go when you've been, when you feel you've been betrayed or you've been let down by something that you've invested some kind of trust in, you know, because it's a relationship, I think, overall, right? Whether it's with the federal government or with institutions in your neighborhood that are set up to help this person or that or that population. Where do how do you how do you heal from that that betrayal? You know, how do you even like frame it? You know, so that was the thing I, I was really excited about when you said what you said, Travis, which to be honest with you, my brain went mush because within two weeks, uh, <laughs> last Saturday, I was um, memorializing my dad in Ohio. So yeah, some of that yeah. kind of was lost for me. But so, but yeah, I'm interested in what you felt betrayed by. And then how do you, um, the word reconcile really isn't it. It's for me, it's more like, how do you tend to it? That wound. Yeah, yeah that's good. And I, and I just want to quickly say, yeah. I too was intrigued by what Travis said, um, the last podcast, because the way you said it, it said, it sounded like it had a lot of emotional weight for you. Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. You, you, you hesitated to use the word betrayal, but then you landed on that and you said that, um, I think that's, I think that's what, when you said that, I think that's what spurred Stephen to come 
and come to this conversation thinking there's there's a lot yeah. to unpack there. So please. Um uh yeah, I I appreciate that. Um I you know I let it noodle around in my brain for the last couple of weeks. Um I think I, so there are two there are two things that are in conflict. Um this is pre-pandemic for me or pre any of this stuff. Just sort of these are there's sort of two principles that are in in conflict. One principle is that I fundamentally trust people. Um so my reflex if a person tells me something is to believe them. Um that's my emotional reflex. Um I've learned, you know, having been on the planet for you know, almost 50 years, not quite, but almost 50 years. And then obviously a conscious adult for, you know, something like 16 of those or, you know, minus 16 years. So, you know, 30 something years, something like that, um, that that's a mistake. Um, not, not the emotional reflex, but, but that it is a mistake to assume that people are always being honest with you, mostly because people aren't super honest with themselves not because they have a hidden agenda or because, you know, they're secretly out to take advantage of you or any of that, right? I mean, there are people like that. They clearly are out there. I think they're basically the minority, you know? I mean, that's not what, where most people are at. Um, but most people' own motivations are not uh, transparent to themselves. But, so, you know, th that being said, I... I expect that people operate in basically in good faith that, you know, they're, they do what they say and they say what they do when it comes to their work, right. When it comes to their jobs. And for most of my life, I have trusted that people in, in advanced liberal Western democracies that have options that don't have to go work for the government. They can go work. They can go make money somewhere else. They can go make more money somewhere else if they choose to do so. Generally, for the same job, uh, people that are going to work for NGOs and and the government, you know, are doing it because there's a reason. It's not, you know, it, these are not typically inherited positions, right? You know, it's not a sinusure or something like that where you have this, you know, role in the front, you know, like sort of. Uh, uh, pre 20th century France where, you know, like you inherited, you know, your dad's office and, you know, collected a, a stipend for it, even though you did no work. That's not what the government in, in advanced Western democracies typically is. And so I just assumed that if you're going to work for one of these institutions, you're probably doing it for a reason. And the reason isn't, you know, self-enrichment or self-aggrandizement. That started to shift a little bit in the Obama administration, not because uh, I still have a fairly, unlike, unlike many people who um, have come to uh, share skepticism of the federal government's responses to COVID and, and kind of where it's at now post-Trump, I do not have a soured opinion of Obama. I still, I, I still respect him a great deal. I think it, my impression of him is that he is someone that was operating in good faith and clearly made mistakes, as we all do. So I, my opinion of that hasn't soured at all of him, uh, you know, as much as I don't know him, but, you know, what I understand about his actions and why he took them. But you really had to... Not if you're paying attention to it, you really had to not be satisfied with the way the bailout went. Um, I mean, kind of the revolving door of government advisors and Goldman Sachs positions. You know, really, if you were paying attention, I just don't know how that could sit well with you, unless you know you were working for Goldman Sachs or you know working for uh, in some capacity uh, as an economic advisor uh, to the executive. So that started to turn uh, with uh, uh, with Obama, um, and I got to say, it turned a bit for Trump even more, but not because Trump got elected, but because it was quite clear that the institution, the bureaucracy, was wholesale rejecting Trump, who was democratically elected. Now. He, I didn't vote for him. You know, this isn't my shibboleth. I'm not saying that because I feel like I have to. Like, I understand the revulsion to the man and his politics. Um, I feel that revulsion. Um, 
you couldn't, nothing could happen at this point that would ever cause me. I, I, basically, Biden could pull off his mask and be, you know, a villain from a Scooby-Doo mystery and run against Trump in 2026 or 2024, and I still would not vote for Trump. Like, there's there's nothing, there, there's no, nothing could compel me to vote for him. So I understand at a gut level, I understand that revulsion. I feel that revulsion. But he was the duly elected president of the United States, and the bureaucracy absolutely, like an immunoresponse, rejected him and his administration and instituted a host of double standards that presidents before him were not held to and that presidents, the president after him has not been held to. That's something that happened with the media, and it's something that happened in the, in the federal government as well. That deepened my, obvious, my obviously, my, uh, my discomfort with the federal government. And then, of course, COVID really killed it because it, it really, it, I can't tell you how much nonsense the federal response was, how much nonsense the the response was in blue states that were were chaired by Democratic caucuses or Dem- Democratic governors. Like n- none of these things um, were actually based on good sound science. It was all it's all bullshit. And so that to me, like I that that was kind of the final death blow, right? As far as, far as like, you know, sort of building suspicion and then, you know, I don't know what to do with that now. Like the underlying, the underlying belief that I have that people go into and do these things for a reason because they're, they're interested in the public good. But the very thing that the United States is predicated upon, the idea that, um, that the lowliest can speak out to the highest, right? I mean, that's the idea. And and you may have laughed at that previously, like, of course, that's an absurd thing. And I agree, of course, in practice that it doesn't necessarily happen, but that that it was so roundly rejected in the federal bureaucracy leaves me with very little trust in that apparatus to do what is in Americans' best interests and not what is in the federal bureaucracy's best interest. So when you were um, breaking it down just a moment ago with regards to the loss of faith, I guess, or the loss of trust, the I was considering why did it, how does Trump's behavior, actions around the immigration ban and all these other things fit into what you're saying? I'm curious. Because he's not an innocent player, neither is this administration in terms of not being good faith players to me. Yeah, so the the bureaucracy itself contributed to that, that double standard, right? It's not as if the Obama administration or the Clinton administration or the Bush administration was amazing on immigration. None of those no, facilities, and, and, and none of those facilities in which kids in cages, which I have to say, I felt moral outrage about, of course, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but none, those weren't built by Trump. Those were longstanding and existing facilities that are still in use. How many reporters are down at the, no, the they're Texas definitely border still in right use. now? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. All of those mm-hmm. things are still, in, were, uh, were still in use. The government knew, for example, mm. that, you know, that these coyotes were, that basically kids were being used to, um, to help people get across the border, so this mm-hmm. was a this was a longstanding uh, uh, practice for for illegal immigration, uh, mm-hmm. which from Mexico has dropped dramatically in the last ten years. You know, mostly comes from uh, a further Central American countries further south, El Salvador, Guatemala, etc. But okay, um, and, and so that again, that's a double standard: bad, evil, terrible, horrible, no good, very bad tariffs. Well, they're still in place. Biden's been president for two years. That's still mm-hmm. going on. Uh, Fair enough. Absol- mm-hmm. Absolutely. Like, I can't believe the damage he's doing to NATO. What? NATO hasn't paid its bills in 20 years. The U.S. has been slowly withdrawing for that alliance for several presidencies. Like, mm-hmm. it, and the idea that, that Trump was singularly 
uh, was a singularly maleficent force mm-hmm. in in the federal bureaucracy, and that the bureaucracy had to reject him. I mean, the mm. <laughs> the idea that this that CNN, MSNBC would without without any without blanching at all would have a parade of CIA and FBI analysts coming through their studios mm-hmm. reporting quote unquote reporting on the administration these are liberal institutions that are taking the word of CIA officers now i don't particularly i i have no problem <laughs> with the, the, the CIA or I mean, I probably have a problem with some of the things that they do, but you know that, that you have yeah, a central intelligence should. agency. All of yeah. us should, yes. Mm-hmm. But all of a sudden, CNN—I mean, CNN and MSNBC—are taking the word of these analysts at as as if they were gospel. Um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I yeah. So anyway, that that's what I'm. That, I don't think as bad as I and as repugnant as I find Trump. And you know, we have to bracket. For this conversation, not for not for the health of the republic, but for this conversation, we have to bracket his attempts to stay in office because it's very clear. I mean, to me, it's very clear that he was attempting to subvert the election to stay in yes, power. I mean, that, absolutely, and mm-hmm. and and that has to be dealt with in whatever with whatever tools we have to deal with. Mm-hmm. It. Um, but you know, these other instances that I'm talking about. They're not all that different from what all presidents before him did and what presidents no, after that's him fair. Do. That's fair. I mean, under the Obama administration, he's done quite a few things that are reprehensible, but yeah. they're not reported on the same way. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. So that, that but, that's but, that's how that's how it, that's where that comes from. But not, okay, sorry, Seth. Go ahead. Another question. I, I wasn't necessarily going to say anything. I mean, what I'm thinking is that okay. Um, it's. I do recall in previous presidencies, um, Clinton's and Obama's pundits who played a role in previous administrations as CIA operatives um, um, or um, generals or uh, uh, other military personnel being asked to come on shows and discuss. I mean, I remember Ted Koppel having... Right, having sure those right. people on to discuss um, the latest moves by George W. Bush or by mm-hmm. um, George Herbert Walker Bush. Um, so that's, I don't think that that's new at all. Um, I do. Think do you that, feel, can I, I ask you a question? Do you feel like the, there was a, uh, that the standards of engagement from the, from the news desk on those networks was different than the standards of engagement from the news desks uh, during the Trump administration? Meaning that did Ted Koppel ask some tough questions of these people, or were they allowed to just kind of give their talking points? Well, this is the thing. I don't see the behavior of the news media with regard to that kind of laissez-faire approach um, to guests being uh, accelerating or being in a, uh, being significantly different. Um, pre-Trump administration versus um, Trump administration times and post uh, post that administration. I've been I've noticed that for years there's been a kind of slow erosion of real critical inquiry mm-hmm, mm-hmm, in mm-hmm. journalism. Period. I mean, I yeah. but, but I felt that way before Trump when people would allow people like Ted Cruz on and 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 um, Ted Cruz, the uh, senator from. Um, from uh, Texas, Texas. Uh, mm-hmm. and and he'd be be the the reporter would pose a direct question to him, like, "Will this legislation do such and such?" And he right. would just recite his talking points and right. and mm-hmm. not be stopped. I I do think that there is something for me. I I want to be really careful in this conversation not to try to invalidate. The way you feel, Travis, because I think the way you think and feel about this thing is 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 very is um is something that you've come to um over, mm. over much time and 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 I think a, a lot of wrestling with um with your experiences. But for me, part of why the administration was greeted with the kind of hostility it was was. Two things really stand out to me. One is that 
Trump started his campaign for presidency, for the presidency, in a racist lie, in the birther racist lie. That's 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 how he was from the get go. And then when it comes to January sixth, I think the kind of uh, what's the call? What what am I, what am I want to say? The kind of deep dishonesty and a, and willingness to basically subvert the democracy comes to the surface in that moment. But I want to say that those kind, that kind of attitude, that sense of I can bend the government to my will. I mean, he fired, um, was it two attorneys general and um, uh, sought to influence the behavior of a third. And I mean, there were ways in which for me, Trump is a limit case because he actually sought to bend that bureaucracy to his will. Mm. Um, and, and that comes to the surface so th- in, in, in January 6th. But I feel like those, that, those, that approach and that attitude was always there from the, from the beginning of the administration all the way through. Okay. So a couple of things. I don't want to necessarily get sidetracked about Trump because I don't really care about Trump. Mm-hmm, I mean, a lot of time was spent uh, kind of wringing our hands, I mean, our collective hands in the country around Trump. Mm-hmm. But a, a few responses. So you didn't like Trump's lie, but presidents lie. Uh, and so measuring the quality of lies is an odd exercise to me. But it's not about quality. Um, I'm, 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 what I'm, I'm sorry, I'm making a, a, a slightly different argument, Travis. I'm saying no, no, that no. was the, that was the beginning. That was the foundation. Oh, I, I was going to go through. Okay. I was going to go. Th- I was going to okay. go through front front to back. So, so his lie, which you know, the birther thing was an absolute lie, which he probably knew was a lie, and it was his way to you know kind of drum up media attention and get engagement and airtime and and. Uh-huh. And suck up some of the oxygen in the room because he's a malignant narcissist. Um, is you know was intentional. Um, every bureaucracy, if you look at an org chart, every bureaucracy is under the aegis of the executive. All of those instances, all of those agencies are under the aegis of the executive. He is their boss. That 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 is that is a well trodden argument that. He now there are all you know there are rules in place in the federal government there are regulations in place in the federal government around you know what you can and cannot do, but bending the executive to his will is literally his mandate. That is the mandate of the president of the United States. He is the one in charge of the executive, and all of those institutions are under that umbrella, and so. It's his right to fire whoever the fuck he wants to fire. That's what you do when you elect a president. Fire an executive employee, not fire someone in the judiciary, not fire someone that is in um, the legislative branch. Those things are off limits. That's the division of power. There are problems with the division of power. The executive has Mm -hmm. grown quite strong. The legislative branch has grown quite weak. Uh, The judiciary, Mm -hmm. you know, is kind of um, in the mix in, in those judgments. But- but that's a historical trend that Trump was a part of. Like the idea that that him exercising executive power is a subversion of the executive is a narrative that emerged from the election of Donald Trump. Like I don't, I don't, sorry, I don't think sorry, it was a, I don't think it was a subversion of the executive. I think it was a subversion of the um, principle that. Um, that these executives, these members of the bureaucracy, should be faithful to the Constitution, and and, and what I'm and what I'm getting at is that in in the moments when Trump indicated, and and I'm I'm really arguing this to say that there are reasons why the bureaucracy responded in the way that it did, and and the news media responded in the way that it did, because there were moments throughout the the administration throughout that presidency where he essentially was trying to get people to not follow the Constitution, to actually do things that were illegal, like pressuring um, a foreign uh, um, executive to get him information on a political rival, ultimately to um, damage that political rival uh, in the next election, 
and getting mm-hmm. people within his administration to help him do so, these are illegal acts. Okay, so so two things. There, you've actually helped. I, I, the conversation is is actually super productive because you've actually uh, helped me articulate something a little bit more clearly. Um, the people that you just so you just made the claim that would have pigeon would have fingered Travis in two thousand. 12 or 2010, which is that these people have taken this job in the federal uh, bureaucracy and they've sworn uh, their allegiance to the Constitution of the United States and its laws in order to execute those fairly. None of these people are elected. And we have now had four years of evidence that the federal federal bureaucracy is not invested in protecting the Constitution of the United States because they were involved in subverting and uh, blocking people's First Amendment's right, First Amendment rights to free speech by right. by coercing tech companies to censor information that they didn't like about the pandemic. So this bureaucracy that that you that you that you have made the claim is protecting the Constitution is a bureaucracy that it seems clear to me is not invested in protecting the Constitution, at least the the kind of big shiny lights parts of it, you know, freedom of speech, et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. They, they are not interested in protecting those things when it does not suit their political or bureaucratic inclinations. And none of these people are elected, right? None of these people are elected. Trump, you can elect Trump, you can get Trump out, right? I mean, he didn't want to go, and, and that's a serious problem, and we can have a podcast about that. I have no problem with that. But but the bureaucracy, none of these people, these are just jobs that people take that they right. get to keep. That, mm-hmm. like, you don't have any say as a citizen over who the director of the CDC is or who the director of the NIH mm-hmm. is or who's sitting on the board of the FD. Like, you have no say in that. Zero mm-hmm. power, none. All you can do is elect you know, legislative, executive. And so this actually, what you just described is how I felt about that. I I mean, Molly was kind of, my wife was kind of poking fun at me because one of my favorite phrases used to be, you know, like 10 years ago or whatever, come on, do you really think that the federal, with all of these people, all of these Mm. educated people (laughs) that are there, do you really think the federal government would dedicate this many resources and, and dedicate this much time to do this if it wasn't worthwhile? Or do you really think they would be ignoring it if... If uh, um, if it was something really serious, because I believed mm-hmm. in the rational basis for this bureaucracy, and mm. it is now to to me, it is now abundantly clear that there is no rational basis for these bureaucratic decisions. That they are completely. Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. You were about to jump in. No, 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 no. I interrupted you. Go ahead. Finish, please. No, no. I whatever. I mean, I, I can. You know, I, it's. I, it should be a conversation and not just me like. Arr. Well, what I wanted to. I, like that, what, <laughs> I think it's helpful. <laughs> well, I wanted to get Stephen in in here because I think that I want to come uh, in. I think that for the listeners, it's like it's it's, <laughs> it's relatively clear <clears throat> or pretty clear um, where you're coming from, Travis. And and Stephen, you know, started off the conversation saying that he never really had that kind of faith in institutions. Like he didn't sure. he didn't have this sort of Travis ten years ago. Um, you know, of course, these people are behaving, <laughs> behaving rationally because why would you expend so much energy and time and, and, and doing something irrational? Yeah. And and Stephen has this Lately. look on his face. No, just joking. <laughs> <laughs> like I keep going on no, and no, on. No, I can no, just like, no, drop I mean, the names of these I, things. I'm like legislatively, this uh, where's states' rights, all of it. So I just <laughs> continue to. I'm, I'm I'm enchanted by how you're receiving what happened during the Trump administration. And I started writing down ideas about this. And then I kind of want to go to my own disenchantment, but I won't be very long. Mm. And the thing is, I keep thinking that there was a, it was a car crash of a bunch of things that allowed for the kind of four years that people groaned about. They groaned as soon as this man was nominated. They groaned once he was, uh, you know, inside. There was this collective sigh. Oh, God, we're going to be going through some stuff because there are precedents for all of this in terms of the way he was acting. So it wasn't like he came in and was like, ah, gotcha. It was like, no, this is what kind of, what you're going to get, <laughs> you know? So um, 
it was funny because I think about my friend Carla, who was like when Trump was up for re-election and she goes, I don't care who gets the Democratic nominee. I'm going to cry my way over to the polls and I'm going to vote for that person. Mm-hmm. She says, because she, you know, she, we were both were like, they're not going to uh, um, give the nomination to Elizabeth Warren or, or, mm, or um, Bernie, Bernie or anyone yeah. who might be a little less, you know, Biden. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I like so, how you did that. Mm. <laughs> yeah. And so it made me think about how the reportage was definitely turned up. Mm-hmm. And it, it it brings to mind Michelle um, Wolf when she was giving that White House correspondence dinner. One of her jokes was, mm-hmm. yeah, CNN breaks the news. Congratulations, CNN. You broke the news. I mean, you really broke the news. Mm. <laughs> and I was thinking about <laughs> the mm. volume and the lack of like I I found myself thinking that I was at a boxing match when I would go on to watch CNN, mm-hmm. MSNBC, less MBC, MSNBC, but it was more CNN. Right. Breaking news. Breaking news was happening every three seconds, and right. it wasn't really mm-hmm. breaking news. And then it, it was like a boxing match. It was like people weren't what you described earlier, stuff about mm. um, t- Ted Cruz reciting his things. I mean, that's what I expect politicians to do, right? Right. Right. But there was less combativeness for right. sure. Right. There were correspondents who were just cutting off the mics of people yes. like Stephen, um, Stephen um, asshole. What's his name? Stephen something. Um, was a part of the Bannon? Trump. Uh, no, not Stephen Bannon. Stephen Miller. Uh, Stephen Miller. Oh my God! There are too many Stevens around. They're terrible people. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm not one. Some someone's yeah. terrible people. But yeah, that yeah, nastiness, yeah. that level of nastiness, mm-hmm. the lack of critical inquiry at times. You, mm-hmm. I really feel what Travis is saying and what you're saying, Seth, um, you have said it in the past, you weren't, you were just going, this is where the, this is, this is the Russia collusion. This is this, this is this. And it's like, so where's the critical part of it? Mm. You, you can go to network news for that because mm. social media and everything had just, I think really influenced the way a broadcast television as well as cable as well as print were mm. reporting on things. I didn't think mm-hmm. you'd mm. hear something about Kim Kardashian in the New York times. Right mm-hmm. now I'm not saying that critical stuff can't be done around culture. Cause I think that's important. I don't want to dismiss that and mm-hmm. say, that's not news. This is news over here, but it's how it's reported is what I'm getting at. Mm-hmm. Um, so blah, 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 blah. I never had any faith in institutions because I was constantly the subject of those institutions in terms of feeling like they were set up for someone who wasn't me. Mm. Mm-hmm. And that as a kid, my, my, as Travis, you know, we're talking about this. We both grew up working. I don't know if you would call it working class poor, but that's what I called it. So both of my parents were, but we were still yeah. poor. Right. Um, so we had that, you know, can do, we're going to go to work and take care of these kids kind of thing. But early on, I think when Carla and I were in high school, we said that the kids are going to have the hardest time are the people who are popular right now. Because the rest of us were thinking, we've been through something already. And you guys are thinking that this might be your peak moment mm. <laughs> in high school. Mm. Right? Mm. <laughs> but not for us. Mm-hmm. Because we were always thinking or subject to having to think differently about institutions. Having to think differently about um, things that were said, but we were watching them, them do the opposite. So mm. you would watch mm. nepotism. You'd watch the more... Um, light-skinned or woman <laughs> get the thing versus the woman who was more qualified. You'd watch these things. Mm. And I felt like the institutions were no better than the people. And it's mm. kind of what you started out by saying, Travis, about mm. people. Mm. I still feel very much, I want to trust people. And so I go with that, but I'm, but I'm heavily suspicious of anyone trying to sell me anything, mm. whether it's an idea or a thing as being the, uh, what do you call it? The panacea for anything whether it's religion or this or that. Mm-hmm. So that suspectness was, was poured into me as a result of my social situation as a kid. Now, what mm-hmm. I think is different, though, is that there are people who grew up the same way I did who have a strong belief in government, a strong belief in Christianity, a strong belief in institutions that I think continue to fail them. And I think that that's largely what we're looking at right now in terms of certain kinds of populations of people who, no matter how much they've been dumped on by these things, there's still a fidelity to it that I find fascinating. And so that's why I listen to different podcasts, particularly Conspirituality, because I'm always trying to listen to, well, how did you get there? And then what did you think you were going to get when you got there? Because I don't have that. (laughs) So I want to ask you quickly... um, 
Stephen, um, mm-hmm. you didn't you did not say this sure. explicitly, and I'm not okay. sure that this is part of the mix for you. But you said that the, you don't feel that like those institutions were set up for you, right? And I just have to ask: Are you saying that partly because you're black and gay, and you feel like those institutions never were geared towards um, speaking to those parts of your identity? So I'm glad you said that because I was wrestling with that because that's part of it, but I also mm. feel like there's more to it. Right. And it, mm-hmm. it touches on something that Travis said about, you know, people be, not being elected, but just being in jobs. Mm-hmm. And I've lived in institutions, I've worked in institutions where people, you know, you've got this really charge to save black culture and to da da da. And then you got people mm-hmm. who are like, it's a job mm-hmm. and they don't have any interest in it outside of it getting a paycheck right mm-hmm. so it's like oh yeah I, I get it it's mm-hmm. yeah it's cute so so it wasn't solely around blackness and queerness it was also around like i, I go back to the baldwinian sort of like space where it's like mm-hmm. these are the identity things but let's talk about what humanity's doing mm-hmm. let's look at what it's doing to poor whites poor white farmers this is where <laughs> where I got a guy goofed up. So what I was saying was that, well, we need to, I went human the way in which I think Baldwin and Morrison and other people do. It's like, let's look at something outside of race and see what the people who are supposed to be benefiting from these institutions are all about. So if they're failing them, let's really look at this. Because we already know that if you've been born outside of a system and you're constantly trying to find voice or find space within it, what is it doing to the people that is supposedly set up for. And so these are the, these are, I'm intrigued by all those kinds of questions. And so when you said what you said last week, Travis, again, I don't have it fully um, committed to memory, but I was like, mm-hmm. I want to believe in something less, something that's not static, but is always growing and developing, which means that in, in some ways, I believe in the American Republic to try to transform itself into something better than what it is. And I see some development and I see some pushback. And I see a lot of pushback in the way of immigrants are coming to steal our jobs, you know, that kind of thing. And I go, what jobs are you talking about? <laughs> like there's no, it, it's, I'm, I'm interested in a Republic that wants to be better, but I'm worried that we haven't been educated enough or have the desire to want to be better. Honestly. So, so thank you. Thank you for saying that. Cause I feel that way generally <clears throat> living in the, um, the U S of A that people okay. just generally don't want to be better. And, and then I mean, there lots and lots of experiences in my life where I've mm-hmm. been in a job and, uh, and I thought, well, this is really whatever way, whatever thing we were doing. I thought this is really inefficient. I'll just speak to a manager and we'll just do it differently. Right. And what mm-hmm. comes back is, no, no, that's the way we've always done it. And <laughs> yeah. <this>, and <laughs> I find at the that. The, yeah. I'm sorry. At the, uh, sorry. I just, I'm so excited about this. Even <laughs> if it's not, even if it's that charge, the charge of that institution or that company to do better, they're still like, no, this is something we've done it always. And so there's this blank look that comes over people's faces and go, what the fuck are you exist for then? Not you, you, but just like the the entity, right? No, I get it. No, I get it. uh, But I want to say sort of one of the, so one thing I want to say is I had a conversation with an artist uh, a couple weeks ago, maybe it was like a week ago. Um, I guess I could just say it's Cheryl Pope and Cheryl Pope, and I were chatting about um, doing a lot of online shopping during the pandemic and that being a kind of holdover mm-hmm. okay. um, habit. Uh, and and she said, yeah. She said, the thing about Amazon is that it will not let you down. Like you will pay your twenty eight eighty one, and you have your Prime membership and it will be there tomorrow. Like you have your like Costa Rican coffee, your um, special blend in your mailbox tomorrow. Wow. Um, and, and that's wow, the thing. Wow, I think, wow. And I think that's one of the things that, um, that is a pillar of American culture that we, I guess, that, that, that often goes by sort of under or unappreciated that com- commerce and consumerism are one mm. of the few places where people can feel agency. And oh, they, shit. and they, and that agency does not ever get, um, uh, uh, when that agency actually gets inhibited, you see people lose their shit. 
Like oh, people, yeah. people go to Starbucks and they're like, "What? Yeah. You're not gonna serve me, or you're not gonna give me a re-? like?" Yeah, wi- wilding out, wilding but, out. Mm. But isn't commerce a place where you express agency? I mean, when you when the last thing that you bought that you really wanted, I right? think when it's in context though. Though I think no, it's context, Travis. Yeah, what and, it I means- think, and I also think and I also think it's about sort of the emotional poverty of not having other places to show agency or to live fully, live out, live free, you know, that's a problem. Do you feel like, so this is my, this is um, where I think we've diverged a lot in conversations lately. I feel, and I'm just going to say it, I feel like you feel like that there are people who are able to live more consciously and rationally and that those people should be in charge and that, and that, and that there are people who do not, who, who are living impoverishedly, whose, whose only agency is Starbucks. Like the, 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 there is a great deal of condescension in that framing of 21st century America. But that's, but that's not what I'm saying. And I don't think that I, and that's not how I see it. Can you clarify? Because that's what I heard when you said that that there's an emotional impoverishment for people who do not have another form of 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 agency. That that's what I heard you say. The implication being that there are a great number of people who are emotionally impoverished in that way. Or am I missing something? Yeah, no, there are. I would I would argue there are, but that's not that, and that doesn't necessarily divide into like. Republican and Democrat, or like class, or socioeconomic class, like none of that. Like, no, there are lots of people who are impoverished. Um, lots, right. lots and lots of people. But I don't necessarily have an opinion about one who they are, or where you find them, or whether they should be in charge or not in charge of things. Like, I don't. That's not. Is that true? So that doesn't ring true to me. So, so I I feel like the things that you have said about people who. Um, like you just don't believe that, uh, like the people that would choose did not get vaccinated. So like, like kind of the, the faceless masses, not individual mm. people that you have relationships with. I think we have you know, a good, you know, I, I don't feel, I didn't feel judgment directed towards me in that way, mm-hmm. but I definitely have felt that judgment directed towards, you know, the knuckle dragging free dumb Trump supporters who don't want to get vaccinated. And that, People who have the bona fides, like Anthony Fauci, etc., they just people just need to listen to them because they know what they're doing. No, that no, is, no. So you're shaking, you're shaking your head, mm-hmm. but I mm. am. That is the impression that I have gotten from you mm-hmm. when discussing these things in the last year. Is that that is is this sort of aristocratic mean in relationship mm. to? the Republic into democracy and where I think we actually, cause I know, you know, I listened to your note last week. I think where we've, where we fundamentally disagree is that I, I do not trust any of our own individual, our own motivations are not transparent to us, no matter how fucking high your IQ is, or no matter how many degrees or how many letters you have after you. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. All of us suffer from a, my side bias, all of us, myself included. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and democracy is the inoculation against that. That's the idea behind it. That, I mean, that fundamentally all of these, mm. all of these uneducated knuckle draggers, when you accumulate them, what you get is social progress. What you get on the other side of that is the civil rights movement, even though the people in the North were absolutely just as fucking racist as everyone else from everyone from everywhere else in the country. But when you aggregate it, when you put all those people together and all of those people see that level of hypocrisy and injustice, what you get is a rejection of it. Not because any individual knows better or was educated better or is smarter, but because fundamentally... As pro-social primates, we recognize when something is unfair when we're given the opportunity to. Sorry, I didn't mm-hmm. actually go on for that long. No, it's okay. I mean, I just, I don't know that, mm. the, the, that I agree with that version of history. I, I mean, you make it sound like it's inevitable. I'm not, I'm, I'm not convinced it is. No, um, that, it's that not kind inevitable. Of social, that so kind of social progress is inev- inevitable. I'm not sure okay. it is. All right, fair enough. But I didn't mean that, I did, but I understand why you would hear that. Right. And, and I want to say, <clears throat> yeah, over the past year, probably two years, 
I've definitely had uh, a kind of um, scorn for the people who are, well, as you describe them, I don't think I would out loud describe people as knuckle dragging because there's that gets into the whole like monkey ape thing, and I don't, I don't, I just, I just find that kind of characterization Uh-oh. distasteful. But, 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 but you <laughs> yeah. know, whatever. Right. The, yeah. The the chump, but my my ire is 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 awakened by the particular kind of Trump supporter who's saying, I'm not going to get vaccinated because that vaccine was developed by George Soros and Bill Gates, and that's how they're going to track me. Like that kind of, I'm Mm -hmm. just going to call it stupidity, that kind Mm. of dogged um, resistance to rational thinking around that um, in any sphere of human activity, um, in religious mm. circles, in, 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 um, I don't know, in banking, like it doesn't matter to me where I find that, that mm-hmm. attitude I have no patience for. And I don't, and I'm, I, you know, I, I understand that there are problems with, um, Anthony Fauci and, and there are lots of things that the CDC did not get right and still not getting right. I get that. What I'm actually for is for, rational reasoned discussion and debate and action based on conclusions that we come to through those processes. Yeah, that doesn't happen a lot. It it happens sometimes, though, and I'm always kind of on the side of that happening. I have scorn for people who aren't interested in that because they're too busy thinking that Joe Biden is a communist and that the coming revolution is one in which the patriots are going to have to fight to keep their country from being swallowed up by these communists. Like that, mm-hmm. the, like no. these kinds of positions are just like they, I, they, des- they deserve so, to be ridiculed. They should so be here, ridiculed. Here's, here's where here's where we come to an impasse on these issues. Of course, I agree with all of that stuff, but the examples are always on the other side. Always. Our own, our, Democrats, progressives, have their own army, army, army of ridiculous notions about the world. But we do talk about Absolutely. these on the podcast. We do. But, but, but your disdain mm-hmm. is not often leveled mm-hmm. at that army of absurdities. Travis, just, 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 just two, just two, just two notes ago, maybe three. I talked Mm -hmm. about how this person that I used to work with, a hyperallergic, Dasan, was a terrible editor. And basically she made people feel. I remember. Mm -hmm. Right. She made people feel because they happen to be white and straight that they didn't deserve to be writing for hyperallergic as a contributor. Like I, I literally had lunch with one of these people, Melissa, um, Stern, who, um, has a has a long history. She's a she's a she's a visual artist. But has a long mm-hmm. history of doing um, uh, what you might call it uh, criticism. And mm-hmm. and when I sat down with lunch for with her um, here in in Newburgh, I asked her towards the end of it why she stopped writing Piper, and she said, "Well, frankly, it's because the song just made me feel like I was like dumb and unwelcome." Like, I, and and mm-hmm. it's context, Travis. I think like. In mm. the cases where we are talking about like certain policies or certain people, um, certain events that have happened, like a lot of the time for me now, the most egregious are the, are the kinds of policies, events, experiences, um, that mm. I see, uh, being spurred on by people who fundamentally believe that um, there's only one real America, and the people that look like me don't belong there. Yes, there are lots of goofy and crazy and ridiculous ideas on the left, and um, liberals left. Yes, yeah, all, all, all progressives. Yeah, all of it. Da, 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 da. All yes. of it. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I mean, two things. But but I just well, let but, me just, I, but I do not. Mm-hmm. I, oh, I'm sorry. No, no, please. I'm no, cutting you off. Go ahead. Just I I just I that where I live is. Um, I live in a, in a place where what most impacts me politically are the people who believe fundamentally in an America that does not look like me. Okay. So a couple of things. One, 
I would never suggest that your ability to criticize individuals has been impaired. That's clearly not the case. Dasan is an individual. Criticizing the movement, the, the overzealous progressive movement to ascribe every ill to whiteness is not something that, I mean, I know that it's something that you don't agree with at all. I get that. I know that. Clearly. But the, the pervasiveness of that problem is real. Right, mm-hmm. it's real. It, mm-hmm. It's it's not a it's not a made up thing. No, now it may be a it may be a new thing, right? It it just showed up. Like it, there's a much longer history of what was that, Stephen? Um, no, I was thinking what I was was um, agreeing with you is it is a new thing. Yeah, I mean, it just showed up last week. Obviously, the history of 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 racism and misogyny against uh, non white uh, non heteros is long in the country, right? Very deep roots there. So, of course, no disagreement on that. Um, but the, I, the idea that, that there is a substantial... Yeah, Stephen, so just so you know, there's no sound coming through the mic right now. Um, the, the idea that there is, uh, there is a substantial proportion of the population mm-hmm. in the United States that thinks that you don't have a right to be here or participate in the democracy right. is vanishingly small at this stage. It, the, I mean, I've been to the South now several times. Like the, the idea that like you could walk into a small town in the South and people will be like, where's he from? Like, so you're conflating racism not- with policies and things that are structural to me. I think that's a conflation. So you may not get someone calling you a nigger, but you might get someone that doesn't want you to move into their neighborhood or have certain kinds of things built because of property values. So I'm thinking structurally. Okay. So, and I think that, and I think, and I'm obviously super familiar with that argument. And I think that you're, Mm -hmm. I think that something like that is for most of the country in the rear view mirror, not the whole country, Absolutely. No, no. So, okay. But see for this now, I, if, if that is the, the reaction and Steven's shaking his head vigorously, we can't see this. And Seth is rolling uh-huh. his eyes skeptically. So for that, no, no, no. no. And it's fine. No, thanks, for the, no, no. no, thanks for the visual. I know you're not insulted. I just love the visual. So for that, so for that, I, I, I want to see, I want some, I want some meat on that bone. Because I'm super familiar with <laughs> with this history in a variety of neighborhoods in California, for example. I'll give you I'll give you a hardcore example that that supports um, the, the eye roll in the in the vigorous head shake. Claremont, California, which has one of the no no I'm not I, I I'm saying I hear I hear you visually right mm-hmm. I, I yes. get your skepticism. Claremont, mm-hmm. California, which has you know some of the premier liberal arts institutions on the western half and on the west coast, the, the Claremont colleges, the the, the five uh, Claremont colleges, and the graduate university there. And that's where you Up got your degree. Ni- yeah, yeah, yeah. Up until the 1990s, the 1990s, bleeding into the early aughts, had a basically okay. a shadow ban, what we call, you know, for like so on social media now called a shadow ban on like selling homes uh, to black families. Like yeah. you actually, like it was, I mean, this, there was investigations on it. They looked at like, I mean, this was something they basically would, um, they would basically, you know, take you just outside the city limits to show you houses or whatever. Right. This is 1990s, early aughts. So this is not something that I think is like, it's so far, like you can't even see it. I don't believe that. I think you guys know that I do not believe that. That I believe that 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 the if, that the effects, the institutional effects and structural effects of racism are still with us. Absolutely, yes. mm-hmm. for sure. No argument, at least for me, right? But that the remedy to those effects is not the bureaucracy. The remedy to those effects is time and death. Basically, you need the old mm. people who grew up believing the shit that they believed to die. I'm sorry. That's just the way it is. You're not going to change their minds. And, and, oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead, Seth. You are about to say. No, no. I, I, again, I'm, I'm interrupting you. I think you should finish, please. No, no. That's, that's really just my point. Like, Remedy, the, the, time, the basically, and death. Okay. Yeah, that basically, it, change takes time. It's hard. It's long. It's uphill. It's Sisyphusian, right? 
and mm-hmm. it, maybe it doesn't roll all the way back down. But you know, the, but that this is just what has to happen. And the only way that the world is going to look like the way that you want it to and I want it to is for about another 20 or 30 years to go by, but that we've done most of the work that needs to be done to change the idea, not to change the reality on the ground. And and progressives are stuck with the fucking idea and not the work. Yeah, I, they're I, not serious. I, no, no, they're no, not I, serious I, about inequality. I'm sorry, go ahead. Well, no, I, to, I, there's... Well, again, I think it depends on which progressive you talk to. Um, yes, there are lots of course, of, absolutely. Right, of course. But I would agree with a lot of what you just said. But my the thing that I think you're not thinking about, and I spend a little bit of time thinking about, is social reproduction. So it's not just that those old people die out. It is that those old people have children and they have grandchildren, and those grand, and those ideas get uh, get transmitted to them. Get um, nurtured in them, the same ideas that their grandfathers had, their grandmothers had. But Travis, in certain, in, but you have to admit that they do. I mean, the, you have whole churches where you can you can see the generational map like laid out for for several generations where they've attended the same church. They've 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 um um uh, uh inherited the same feelings about. Um, women's place in the home, and this is why they follow mm. their mother's Seth, first step and work. Forty percent of people under twenty think they're gender fluid. Like, I mean, like, so, it's so, but just no, no, not no, no. true. That don't, don't fall for the hippie <laughs> stuff. Travis, don't fall for the hippie thing where the, where the uh, white kids can go out and go peace, peace, peace. And then later on, join the mainstream. Thank don't you. fall sure, for that. Of course. No, Please don't right. fall for that. And I want to say this about this idea of transmitting ideas. So they may not be like, okay, now this is how you pronounce nigger, nigger, not nigger. <laughs> They're not saying those ideas. We're saying property, maintaining property, maintaining right. status. Right. These are the things I think stuff is getting at. That's what I think right. is being transmitted. I'm not saying that things aren't changing. I'm saying that I think that that I'd like to see more meat on the bones of what you're talking about as progress. And I'm so it's I think we're I don't even know if we're talking about the same thing sometimes because I recognize that all of us have things to do when in this freedom project and that we're we are getting it wrong on both sides. But I'm not trying to kill a bunch of right people. I'm not trying to. I'm just trying to live. So I feel like I'm in the defensive mode largely, right? That I really want to get out of in terms of the ideas and more into action. But what's the other side that wants to kill you? See, these are terrible ideas that I'm talking about. These are terrible ideas around home ownership. Um, I feel like homeownership is a terrible idea. No, no. I'm starting to feel like, and this is a big. Strong thing to sort of end on because we're getting close to the end. It's this idea of um, private property and what it does to folks. It pulls me back to some ideas that I've been thinking about for a while. And something you said years ago when you were like, let's get rid of shame. Let's not have any public toilets with with um, oh, yeah. doors. Do you remember yeah, this, Travis? Yeah, 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 yeah. So I was yeah, thinking I about it. Yeah, and yeah, I didn't yeah, think you thought Lorca being, did this. Yeah. And I love that because I was like, oh, shit, that might actually, because it'll be just norm, 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 normal to see people doing their business, right? right, right. But you wouldn't be like behind a door, kind of, oh, my God, right? right, right. Um, but I've been thinking about larger kinds of things that don't really serve the body politic of the U.S., but that serve just a few people. Mm. And so when I'm saying I'm killing, killing mm. me, I really want to pull in some Mark Fisher later on mm. um, and some things that he said about feeling like he was worthless for mm. the longest. This is a philosopher mm. who killed himself in 2017. He's responsible for Capitalist Realism, Ghost of My Life, The Weird and the Eerie. These are his three books. And there's some stuff that was published posthumously. But this idea mm. of feeling a part of something, but also feeling very much outside of things that are structural, that we are, um, that really impact the way people see what, what the possibilities are. That's all. And mm-hmm. it's not that clear right now. I apologize, but those are some of the ideas. No, no, I'm I, have. Following you. I, I, I also, mm-hmm. also want to just say this, um, as we come up on time that possibly in this context, in these conversations that we have, that I'm coming from a position of, um, having grown up in the Christian church and really, um, coming to suspect that that institution is a net negative. Like, is an, like it, it, at, when you add up all the pros and cons, at the, mm. at the end of the day, 
um, it it's more harmful than not. And I feel like that may color the way that I talk or approach um, subjects that generally get divided into sort of conservative versus liberal sort of positions. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> possibly because of that. But I, I also want to say, well, because, because I've had that experience with Christian church, I also want to say that um, like I think both of you, my tendency is to trust people. Um, and I suppose my tendency is to trust institutions when they don't out and out um, behave badly. But I think also mm-hmm. that that trust is pretty fragile. And so when it's mm-hmm. broken, I'm like, I'm not, I never feel betrayed or I don't feel like surprised. Mm. I more often feel like, oh yeah, I'm, I feel reminded. I'm like, oh yeah, that's right. Human beings really are terrible. They're awful. <laughs> they like don't. Oh no, that's right. No, I remember now. Like they just like now we I are. Remember, <laughs> we we. I mean, there's a diff- couple of different ways that you can shade it. I mean, we're in the January of our evolution. We just haven't like figured out like how to be good stewards of this planet yet, or good stewards of ourselves. Like you know, whatever. There's a there's a bunch of ways to talk about this. But my my fundamental position, um even though I have this emotional tendency to believe people, my fundamental position is that human beings are deeply, deeply, deeply flawed. And from, what was it that um, Kant said? From the, from the crooked timber of humanity. Crooked timber of humanity. humanity no straight thing was ever made. Like, mm. I just, I just kind of get reminded of that all the time. Mm. Um, okay. Um, I, just a few short things. So, who wants things to be fucking straight? Nothing st- is straight in in Never life. was. Never will be. I want my table to be things straight. Are... <laughs> I do. <laughs> I want Touché. architecture <laughs> no, no, to no, be no, straight no. and calculated. I want my floors to be straight. I want my floors to be level. No, fuck that. No, no. Touche. <laughs> so um, the... the uh, um, I had uh, two... There were two other uh, pretty succinct things. Oh, on the Christianity mm-hmm. thing... Um, I am more agnostic on that than I think you are. I mm-hmm. am unsure what I think about oh, okay. the history of Christianity as far as its its positives or negatives. I don't think it's. I'm certainly not a booster. <laughs> you know, I, I don't. It's it's not it's not clear to me that on balance it's a good thing, but it's not clear to me that on balance it's a bad thing. So, mm-hmm. um, and then the last thing that just sort of came to me when you guys were both talking talking, I think the fundamental difference between on a lot of these issues right now between you and I, Seth, uh, Steve, and I think we've oddly been a little closer on, on some of the pandemic stuff. Um, you know, although I don't agree with there. any white man anywhere. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But no, Is I that, agree with you. I'm not to joke, but I, I agree with you on some things. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. But I agree yeah, with the, so, the issues, not necessarily with you. Yeah. And this, I mean? no, so, yeah. Right, no, no, I, I hear what you're saying. Yeah. Yeah. Of course. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, um, but it's that ultimately, I think I'm a fan of the United States. Like in a sports analogy, mm-hmm. I'm a I'm a fan of the United States. <laughs> and so like I I you know, I criticize the, the the coaching staff. I can't believe we traded for that player. Like what are we doing? Like we're like we've blown our salary cap on this like media <laughs> like So but ultimately, ultimately I'm a fan. Like mm-hmm. I am rooting for the United States and mm-hmm, the people that mm-hmm. make up the United States. And I want, and I want that team to expand. And I, I don't give a shit whether the team is the same color than I am. I don't give a shit that the, that the team wants to mm-hmm, like interact mm-hmm, with mm-hmm. dicks in the same way that I want to interact with dicks. I, like, I just could care less about that. Right. None of that mm-hmm, matters mm-hmm. to me, but I am a fan of the United States and for what it stands for. And I think that you both are not really fans of the United States. Like you're, you're way more like, I said something this earlier the, about the idea the, about the body yeah, politic, the human project. Yeah. I did say that. I didn't say you that did. directly, no, no. So, but I did. Yes, yeah, so, 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 I, I think you interested I think, in that project. Yeah, I think you. I think you're closer to a fan, Seth. I think like you just happen to live in that town, <laughs> and like everyone else is going to the game, and so you're like, yeah, fuck uh, it, I'll go to the game. Gross. I'm going to the art so, museum. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I mean, yeah. I mean, I've managed to carve out a little niche for myself in this, um, mm-hmm. in this uh, culture, in this society. That I'm, I I feel is is nurturing for me is is um, is conducive to a kind of uh, what's the word self aware life that I want to live 
and I have uh-huh. a, a few people, you and y'all two are, are, are part of that family that I've managed yes. to uh, construct that make me feel like, yeah, like this isn't all just a fucking waste of my time. Um, mm. that, that, yeah, but yeah, I'm, I'm not a fan. I'm, I'm not, I'm not like gung ho about mm. being here. I'm like, you know, and, and people, when they, when they meet me and they have this enthusiasm about, oh, <laughs> yes. And I, I woke up this morning at 5.30 and I got my smoothie and then I went to the mountaintop and I sat there and I journaled for an hour and, uh, and, and, and I'm just so self-actualized now and I'm just going to go home and have my three cups of tea and like change the, be the change I want to see in the world. Like, I'm like, Ooh. great, great. I cannot muster that kind of enthusiasm. Um, First of all, we can see it in your face and in your energy. <laughs> like you won't go come, come right out and say, I feel like you would say, that's nice. <laughs> right, right. Good for that's you. That's good. That's yeah. good. Good for you. Okay. <laughs> all Daddy that positivity. Home. What you going to do with all that positivity? Oh, yeah. Uh, and and on that uplifting (laughs) egalitarian non-judgmental note i have to go to yoga and acupuncture i gotta go yeah yeah, that's right Uh, i want to i want to let the listeners know so obviously we have september's going to be a little bit different i have to talk to steven so i don't know if if seth if you talked to steven yet but no no, no, i haven't taking september off because he'll be at a, his writing residence working on his book project. Mm-hmm. So, um, Stephen, if you want to do the podcast with the two of us, I'm happy to do that. Um, oh yeah, kind no, of, definitely. Yeah. So okay, so we'll we'll just we'll pick some topics and, and now we could talk about stuff that we want to talk about, not just stuff that Seth <laughs> wants to talk about. <laughs> That's hilarious. Oh my god, okay. hilarious. So okay, all right. So uh, good to see you guys. Of course, um, then I'll uh, talk to you soon. Okay. All right. Great. Yeah. Bye.